Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Good day, everybody. Good to see you. Glad you're here with us. Welcome, welcome. Good to be here at Central Campus. Uh, Adam mentioned who I was. I'll just reiterate that. My name is Michael Singer, and I typically am service pastoring at our Lake Norman campus. Uh, This month, uh, I've gotten to do the whole tour. So I did, I was at Lake Norman, spoke there. I was at South End a couple weeks ago. And now I get to be back home with Central Campus. I say back home because This is my stomping grounds for many years. This is where I grew up. This is what I've been around. Not grew up from like a kid, but uh, since the church began, I've been here pretty much since the beginning, so been around a lot of years. It's always good to come back to Central and see a bunch of people that I don't know anymore. (laughs) Because I don't know a lot of y'all anymore. But some of you I do know, so it's good to see you again. Great to meet all the new people. We have some people watching online, so let's give them a hand for people that are live streaming. We have Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, my home state where I did grow up, Louisiana, sorry, I almost enunciated that. And if you're from Louisiana, you do not enunciate that word. So Louisiana, not Louisiana, Arizona, Iowa, and Virginia. So glad you are watching, glad you are tuning in and joining us uh, today. And I'm glad to be able to be here. Uh, I, you know, we gave a, a hand clap of appreciation a moment ago for all those uh, that gave their life for our freedoms uh, so that we just don't take for granted these holidays. Uh, but hand clap is a way to give people appreciation. And I appreciate our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell. So let's give them a hand just for being able to have a church. Being able to utilize technology and people live streaming, so I appreciate their vision, appreciate their leadership, and I appreciate what they do so I can do what I do. Um, so I'm very glad to be a part of this. Now, we're going to wrap up a series today, this series we've been in for the entire month of May, this throwing shade, but I want to encourage you. Uh, over the summer, we have this series called The Dog Days of Summer, and you saw the little video bumper that'll play uh, throughout that series. Summer's a time where typically we might be thinking about vacation, get away from work, uh, get away from just some of the day-to-day things, and just go and relax and have a good time. I think maybe this summer it's going to be interesting, but I believe more people than maybe ever 
are really looking forward to being able to get out and do things because last year with things being locked down, plans getting canceled, vacation plans getting canceled, I think a lot of people are going to be chomping at the bits, itching. I got to go on vacation. Here's the key, and this is why we're doing this summer series. It's very easy sometimes to take a vacation from God, to just go away and say, all right, God, this is my vacation. You stay here. I'm going on vacation. But we really want this summer to be a summer that maybe is different for us, a summer where we don't just treat it like getting away from work. We don't get away from God like that. That we, we invite God and take God with us in those moments. Obviously, you can live stream or go to a church wherever you are, but more than that, just staying connected with God. So don't miss this summer. Show up for the series. But let's shut this series down today, Throwing Shade. Let's end this thing. Uh, it's been a good series, and I'm going to share something with you today uh, from a lady in the Bible that hopefully you'll be able to leave here with something. One of the great things that Adam mentioned is our Freedom House app. I love that app mainly because at the bottom it has a little thing that says messages, and you click that, and then you can bring up and click on the series and actually take notes electronically. I tend to throw away or burn my paper notes because I never look at them, uh, but I have it electronically. So if there's something that hits me, like if Javier says something really cool to me, I can write it in there and I can look at it later. Maybe there's something that God's going to say to you today. It might not be exactly what I say. It might just be something he tells you off of what I'm talking about. Write that down in there. You never know where you can come back and address that, but it's right there. Most of us carry our phones anyway, so it's a great place to take those notes. I want to read a scripture that is going to set the tone for what I want to talk about today in this Throwing Shade series. Because this series is all about, and you kind of saw it from the bumper, it's this verbal fight we get into, this verbal jabbing we get into of saying things to people. Throwing shade is not a positive term. It's, it actually has a negative connotation. So I'm not talking today about um, you know, positively confronting someone or having a conversation with a friend or having a tough conversation with someone. I'm not talking about that. I'm on the other side of the coin talking about throwing shade, these negative moments uh, that we have opportunity to find ourselves in of throwing verbal jabs at people or taking verbal jabs and what do we do with that? So here's the scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. I love Romans 12 as a chapter, probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Verse 19 says this, let's set the tone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, we're going to get a quote from the Old Testament, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That's a tough one. Because you know what? I think sometimes I know better how to get people back for the hurt that they've caused me. You know what, God? I'll take this one. Because I know you're merciful and you're gracious. And these people need to understand. Like, they need to hear. I don't have just two cents. I got like $1.25 that I want to share with them right now. Like, I want to get and become the titan of text, and I want to let them know on this social media post exactly what I think, because they hurt me, and I want to hurt them. We all have moments where we like to retaliate. Revenge might sound like a strong word, oh, I don't seek revenge. Yeah, but do we seek some kind of retaliation, some kind of get back? You push my button, and now I'm going to push your buttons, because that doesn't feel good, and I want you to know the pain that I felt. A number of years back, my family, we all decided to go to Disney World. Now, I don't have a, a strong, uh, I never had a, like a proactive desire to go to Disney World. However, I didn't have a great disdain about going to Disney World, so I was excited about going to Disney World. The reason we were all going was because my niece's band, 
uh, had the opportunity to be in the parade, and we got discount tickets. That's the only way I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> so we all converge on Disney World, and you know, I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm from Louisiana. So though I was there from age zero to 12, I remember how hot it is in Louisiana. It's hot here and it's humid, but down there, it's like walking in an armpit daily. Like 24-7 just in an armpit. Florida, no different. So we were going in December, like December 20th. So my expectation is not to see snow on the ground and have this cold weather. But I was thinking, okay, we might, it might feel like fall if we're best, but it shouldn't be boiling hot. Eh, Wrong answer, boiling hot. Like I'm sitting there going, it's December, man. It should not feel this hot. Disney World uh, has a lot of asphalt and concrete. It's hard to plant trees in those. There's not a lot of trees, not a lot of shade. So the day comes where the parade is going to happen. So we're all jockeying for position. We want to be close to the road to yell at my niece, Caitlin. We want to be able to see us and all that stuff. So we find this spot near the castle in Magic Kingdom. How many of y'all, by show of hands, been to Disney World? All right. So put yourself there, if you remember. Big castle, by the road. There's no shade right there. Well, you have to wait for the parade to start. And we have to wait for them to come by. I'm hot and tired. I look at my brother-in-law, Kenneth, who I affectionately call K-Digger. And I say, K-Digger, we got to find shade, man. So I'm looking around and then all of a sudden, it was like God himself stepped out of the sky. There was some structure behind us. I don't even remember what the structure was. But the structure wasn't the important thing. The important thing was that the sun was at an angle that hit that structure and created a cascade of shade on the ground. And do you know that shade began to talk to me? It said, Michael, come on, Michael. You know you want to relax and rest and enjoy the comfort of this shade. And I said, your dog all right, shade. I'm going to come rest and relax and enjoy because this sun is killing me. And we went and sat in the shade and enjoyed that moment. I think that's how life is. When we're talking about this idea of throwing shade, I believe that there are moments where people say things to us and it feels uncomfortable, just like we were uncomfortable in that sun baking down on us. And it feels so uncomfortable that we get drawn into the shade of that moment, into retaliating, into letting them know what we think, into throwing a jab, and we get lost in that. And it feels comfortable but it doesn't sustain our comfort. So today, I thought I'd spend a few moments. We're going to look at a lady in the Bible that I believe is going to help us, help us to figure out how not to get lost and drawn into that shade throwing so that we can experience something different and more sustaining from God. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, and there's a guy we're going to start Uh, to look at that's going to kind of launch us into the story of this lady. The guy's name is Elkanah, and here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2. It says, he, talking about Elkanah, had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Very important detail here. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. I want us to really understand the significance of that statement. Because 
If we look at the context of the culture and this time period and the way they live their life, there's a magnitude to this statement that I don't know we truly get and understand in our American culture today. Now, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, they were in an area where other people groups around them operated in polygamy. So a man could have multiple wives. Underneath Mosaic, the law of Moses that was given by God, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they were also given the opportunity to have multiple wives. However, Deuteronomy makes it clear that this was not to be a free-for-all where you just have wives because, oh, man, she's hot. Oh, she's got nice calves. Oh, I like her ankles. I'm going to marry her. It wasn't just some random thing that you just did. There was actually two main reasons because God's a God of order. Two main reasons that he allowed people to have more than one wife. The first reason was that if a husband died, then the brother of that husband who died, it was his responsibility to marry his brother's wife, who was the widow. And the purpose for that was for their livelihood, so that they could have a place, they could have a position, they could keep, their, uh, keep all their land, they could have everything, potentially if they didn't have kids, potentially have an heir to their family. But it was very instrumental and strategic from the way they lived their life for them to have livelihood. So that was the first main reason. The other main reason and what we see in this story is that a man could marry another woman if his first wife was barren and could not have children. So you see when we read that text, it said he had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other was called Penina. So he married Hannah, Hannah couldn't have children, so he married Penina so that he could have children. Here's why it's so important to have children. They grew up in an agrarian lifestyle. They didn't like choose between, hey, you know, I think I'm going to be a physical therapist. You know, I'll, uh, I'll work at the convenience store down there. You know what? I really love restaurants. I want to manage restaurants. It wasn't all this choosing. They lived agrarian, meaning that they lived off the land. I have a garden at my house. It's about 20 by 20. I can barely keep up with the weeds. So to live my life off the land, though I would love to do it, it's a lot of work. I love watching those shows, Alaska and all that, where they have self-subsistence lifestyles. I love it. I often tell my wife, let's just go. She says it's too cold. But it's a lot of work, a lot of hard work just to live. Well, the beautiful thing about having children and why it was so important to them is because they needed the help of the children to take care of livestock and all the land. If you are a parent in here, one of the most freeing statements that have ever come out of your mouth and maybe will ever come out of your mouth is this. Kids, go wash the dishes. Kids, do your laundry. Kids, make the bed. It's vital in my household. Don't know about yours. If you've never experienced that as a parent, I want to give you freedom today. <laughs> if your kids are older than three years old, now, when they get to that age where they can do stuff, let them do stuff. It releases the load from you. It's beneficial to me. Like, I love it. But in this lifestyle, it's like a hundred times more important than what I even think it is. This is, what a, this is how big a deal it was to have children. Another reason that it was so important is that if, if they didn't have a son, then they had no heir. The, in their tribes, they were given allotments of land and cattle and all this stuff. Well, if they didn't have anybody, an heir to take that on, they could lose it all. Like it could be taken 
from them because they had nobody to carry on and take care of that land. This is a major deal. Also, as a woman, as a Jewish woman, as a Jew in general, they were looking for the coming Messiah, the one who was going to save them. To be connected to the Messiah through lineage or to give birth to the Messiah, because they didn't know who it was going to be, the potential as a woman to give birth to the Messiah or even be connected in the lineage, oh my gosh, this was the greatest honor in the world to even think about that. Not only was this an emotional thing for Hannah, but hopefully we understand the magnitude of what this meant logistically. This basically put a label on Hannah that you can't even provide or do the thing to make sure that your, life, your livelihood is sustained, much less the emotional pain and challenge from not being able to have children when you desire children. The story goes on in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, and we begin to see what effect and how this plays out in Hannah's life of not being able to have children. It says this, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Let me pause for a minute. I grew up with two older sisters. The sister that's about 18, 19 months older than me, Stephanie, we fought the most. If you have siblings, you maybe understand this principle of fighting. We would be driving in the car and we would be messing with each other, hitting, tapping, just poking each other just to irritate each other because it's fun to irritate your sibling. And she's like, stop touching me, stop touching me. I'm like, stop touching me, stop touching me. My dad and mom, and I, if you're, I don't know if this is a generational thing, but I feel like it might be more old school. I heard a lot of times my dad and mom be like, do you want me to pull this car over? Anybody here ever hear that? You want me to pull this car over? Okay. A few of y'all are saved. So I heard that. Stop touching him. So here's what we would do, because I didn't want to stop irritating. I'd take my hand put it right next to Stephanie and go, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. I feel like this is what Penina was doing to Hannah. Hannah, look at all my kids. Where are your kids, Hannah? Oh, my fault, you ain't got no kids. This is the kind of every year they go to the house of the Lord and her rival, Penina, is just irritating her. Verse seven, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. I don't want us to miss this picture. I don't want us to miss how it explains this because I love the fact that it keeps it real in this story that Hannah wept and would not eat. This shows the pain that this caused. This shows the deep, deep hurt that she had. And so when I'm talking about this, how do we avoid shade, what I'm not talking about is just bottling my emotions down and just trying to ignore it because that doesn't help. That usually leads to being bitter. I love this because the richness of this verse for me is that she wept and would not eat. It gives me a state of being that she's in, an emotional hurt and emotional pain, and it reminds me that God does not have a problem with us having hurt and pain and expressing that. But we have to find something to do with that. So we get a great picture of just how much this hurts Hannah. I don't know how many years ago. It's been a, a good while ago. But there was a, a soccer player by the name of David Beckham. And he was known for his soccer skill. He was also known because the girls thought he was cute and handsome and sexy. But there was a phrase that came out. Uh, I'm not a soccer player, but I knew this phrase. 
There was a phrase that came out called bend it like Beckham. I think they made some kids movie about it or whatever. I don't know. Bend it like Beckham. So the principle of this is that soccer players have the ability to do things with their feet that I couldn't even dream of doing with my hands. They could kick a ball and put spin on it so that it looks like in the air it's bending, can bend different ways, up, down, all this stuff. So bend it like Beckham was this phrase that I know I knew and it seemed like was something that was kind of known. Well, today, we're not going to learn how to bend it like Beckham. Today, we're going to learn how to handle it like Hannah. So when you leave this place, and you have those moments where someone says something and it feels like they just put their thumb in a wound and you're ready to retaliate, get revenge, jump in the shade with them. I just want you to think, all right, handle it like Hannah. Handle it like Hannah. So how in the world did handle, Hannah handle it? We pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Remember, she's weeping and she would not eat. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. It didn't say in her deep anguish, she looked over at Penina and said, I'm going to kill you, Penina. In her deep anguish, she didn't look at anything around her. It says she prayed to the Lord. I believe what we see from Hannah and how we can learn how to handle it like Hannah is we have to understand that we have to find a focal point. We have to find a focal point. One of the most challenging moments for me to live out my Christianity is on multiple lane highways and interstates. Because there are a lot of things that irritate me uh, on the roads anywhere. But the one thing that probably makes me the most uh, infuriated is when I'm driving on a multiple-lane highway and there's someone driving slow in the fast lane. I wish there was a scriptural basis for me to run them off the road. There's not. I don't even know if I can make something up for that. But I find myself extremely irritated. I get very judgmental. I get very... Um, upset and I think things I shouldn't think and all I want to do I've seen 15 cars pass them in the slow lane and I'm sitting there thinking if I ride their bumper enough they'll realize they're doing wrong and they'll get over and they don't so I realize I'm gonna have to pass them in the slow lane but I'm not gonna miss this opportunity so as I prepare to pass them in the slow lane everything in me just wants to stare a hole through their chest and they say a lot, of, a lot of the way we communicate is nonverbal, it's facial expression. And in those moments, I hope that's very true because I want them to understand the expression on my face that I think that they shouldn't have a driver's license, <laughs> that they probably shouldn't even woke up that morning and left the house. Um, so I'm very irritated in those moments. So what I have to do sometimes is I, have to, I find a focus I'm like, all right, I'm not even going to look at them. I'm going to look off to the right. I don't care if I get in a car accident. I'm just going to look off to the right. And do you know that works sometimes? But that doesn't really work all the time. And what it doesn't do is it doesn't really change my heart about the matter. And the reason why is because my focal point is something in the natural and tangible. But I love what we learned from Hannah. She found her focal point in God. She prayed to him. 
Now, she could have found her focal point in something natural that was right there in front of her. Because a few verses that I didn't read, it tells us about her relationship with Elkanah, her husband. And it says this. It says, Elkanah deeply loved and cared for her. Like he felt for her the fact that she couldn't have children. And every year when they would go to the house of the Lord, Elkanah, one of his roles was to, when they would eat, he would divvy out the food. It says that to Penina and all her sons and daughters, he would give one portion of food. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he cared about her. In other words, he was saying to her, Hannah, I married you because I love you. I married Penina because we need to have children so we can sustain this livelihood. You have my heart, Hannah. And Hannah could have took that and said, Ah, Penina, you got all your children, but you don't have Elkanah's heart. I don't know why I turned that into a song, but... (laughs) She could have, like, just come right back. She had a perfect opportunity in that moment of shade to just get right back at her, but she didn't. Year after year, getting irritated, she found a focal point, and that focal point was going to God. I love what 1 Peter chapter 2 says when it talks about and reiterates this idea of what is our focal point supposed to be. 1 Peter 2, 19 says, For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, we patiently endure unjust treatment. Let me remove that middle part. For God is pleased when we patiently endure unjust treatment. So, Michael, does that mean God is pleased whenever I'm having a moment, someone's treating me poorly, it's very unjust, and I just go, God, you see me holding firm. I'm not talking back to them. Oh, God, you're going to bless me because I'm just holding firm, being a good Christian. I'm just doing the right thing. God, I'm just stonewalling. I'm just not going to let it. I'm putting on, putting on my tough skin, my big boy pants. I'm just going to handle this. I can do it. I can do it. Just make it, Michael. Don't say nothing. Don't look at them. Don't respond on that text. Don't respond to that social media. Just stand firm. No, God's not pleased with that. It's very clear right here that he's pleased when we endure unjust things if we're conscious of his will when we're doing it. Here's what that tells me. It's one thing to stand firm and just go, all right, God, I'm just going to not say anything. That's not necessarily a horrible thing. But when we do that, we miss out on the conscious of his will part. When we're conscious of God's will and people do unjust things to us that we didn't deserve it, it just happened to us, then what we'll begin to do is say, God, I didn't ask this to happen. I don't know why this is happening. They're doing me wrong. What can you teach me about myself in this moment? What can I learn because your will is most important? Those verses in uh, that chapter, 1 Peter 2, it goes on, skips a few verses. I'm going to read verse 23 because it tells us about Jesus and explains how he did this. It says this in verse 23 of 1 Peter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, talking about Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus understood that it's not my way, but it's God's will. Do we understand in those moments that it's not just about standing firm when someone's done something mean to us, but it's about connecting with God and saying, God, I believe there's something more because your will is greater than my will. Your will is greater than my way. Your will is greater than my desire. So God, in this moment, 
Help me to see a fresh perspective of what is going on. Help me to get your viewpoint instead of just jumping in and retaliating. Hannah understood this. She found that focal point. She said, God, I'm going to pray to you because I know your will is best. And I do have a great husband, but more important than that, I have you. And I'm going to seek out what you have for me and follow that. Not only did she find that focal point, but another thing that we see that Hannah did is Hannah found depth in meaning. She found depth of meaning in her situation. So oftentimes I feel like we get into moments of throwing jabs and disagreements and, and we don't stop long enough to ask ourselves, why in the world am I like making this a big deal? How did it get to a point where this thing that I'm getting so frustrated about, how did it get to a point where it frustrates me at that level? Is it really worth it? I mean, is, is it worth me trying to convince you that the best color is blue and you think it's red? Like, is it worth my time getting into a battle? Some of us love to just share our opinions and love to, to get into a disagreement things. We want to tell you what we think. Is it really worth it, though? Like, I feel like sometimes if we stop and said, does this really have, like on a scale of 1 to 10, is this really a 10 for me or is this like a 2 and I just want to share what I want to share? I think sometimes that could just stop us from getting in those moments because there's no depth of meaning to that. I see, when I continue reading, how Hannah had depth of meaning. Let me read verse 11 of chapter 1. She's sobbing, she's praying, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. We did a baby dedication here on Mother's Day a few, week, few weekends ago. And maybe as a parent, you've made this statement, this is kind of what this, our baby dedication, what it's all about. Is it's about the parents, really. It's a baby dedication, but it's more for the parents. It's about a parent saying, you know what, God, I'm going to give this, this child's life, this gift you've given me, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give them back in your hands because I want them to know you. I want to show them the best that I can, your principles, your guidelines, so we, you do that. And so Michael, is Hannah doing that? Is she just saying, God, I'll give them in your hands? No, no, this is a whole different ball game. You see, when we did that baby dedication, if you're here and you dedicated your child, children, None of y'all left your kids at church and said, y'all take care of them. And it's a good thing you didn't because I wouldn't have taken care of them. But understand, when Hannah said, I'll give this child back if you give me a child, what she meant was that she was going to give birth to her child. She was going to take that child to the house of the Lord, to the temple, and leave that child with the priest. Now, what we've read so far is they only went to the house of the Lord once every year. So does that mean she was only going to see her son once a year? Maybe. But I think the bigger thing is, is the very thing, the very thing that Hannah desired because of the label she had in her cultural context, the emotion, emotional and tangible hurt and pain, the very thing that had depth, she responded with depth by saying, the thing you if you give me this that I've desired, I will give it right back to you. How many times have we asked to be out of the job we're in because we don't like the, the boss or we want a new job or we don't like working with our employees and we go, God, if you'll just give me a new job, do we give it back to him when we get it? God, I, I just would like a, I'd like a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I just want to try to get married when we get in that relationship. 
do we give it back to God? You know what, gosh, I need to find some good people to hang out with. These, these other people I've had as friends. God, just give me some good friends. When God gives us those friends, do we give that back to him? This is what reveals to me that Hannah, she understood, and this meant the world to her. The very thing she longed for. She said, I'll give it right back to you. It's very easy as we walk through life, and I've done this, either subconsciously or consciously, to think the statement or make the statement that, I will never be like them. Sometimes it's easy to do with our parents. I'll never be a parent like they were to me. I'll never be a husband like that. I'll never be a wife like that. That friend treated me poorly. I will never treat anyone else like that. Growing up when I was in sports and doing stuff, man, that, that coach, he was extremely mean. He was like a drill sergeant. Man, if I ever get to coach my kids or other people, I'm going to love them. We're going to teach them the principles of the game. We're going to compete and do all that, but we're going to do it in a fun, you know, all this stuff that we say, I'll never be like them. And it's easy to think, and to feed into the lie that there's depth to that statement. And the reason why is because those characteristics and qualities that those people did were, were negative and not healthy and not beneficial. They were qualities that didn't line up with God's best. And so we think, if I just don't do those qualities, then I'm good. There's depth there. And that is a lie from the enemy. And here's why. Because usually there are two things that will happen if we focus on comparing ourselves to other people and just not being like other people. What I'm about to say, disclaimer, is not going to make logical sense, but it's very true, and I've seen it time and time again. And I had to wrestle with this in my life because it didn't make logical sense. Anytime we say I'm not going to be like them and we get into that shallow comparison game, one of two things. The first thing is that very thing that we're focused on not doing will actually become and we'll end up doing it because it was our sole focus another thing that can happen very easily in those moments is that we go so far to the other extreme that we cause the same hurt and pain for the people around us that was caused to us so maybe you grew up in a household where your parents were extremely strict. I'm not talking about they had boundaries and curfews and wanted you to do good in school. I'm talking extremely strict, or maybe they were very physically, like, abusive to you. Whatever the case, it's very easy to go, I will never be like them. And then you know what happens? We forfeit our parent being a parent for becoming a friend. And do you know that does as much damage to our children as that parent that damaged us? Comparing ourselves to someone is not, there's no depth. It's very shallow. What God wants us to do is to go to him and say, hey, look, this means something to me, so I want to be the husband like you've told me to be in your word. I want to be a friend like you've called me to be. I want to love like you've called me to love. I want to forgive like you've called me to forgive. And if those qualities happen to look different than how I was treated, so be it. But now I have depth that is rooted in God's meaning and not just my circumstance. In the Old Testament, there was a major prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah did a lot of great things, but Isaiah had some really, he had a really rough go. It got to a point where Isaiah found himself at a place where he just didn't know if anybody else loved or cared about God. He thought he was the only one. And I love what it says in Isaiah 50. I love what it says about him, what he says about himself, the depth of where he had gotten to in his life. And it says this in Isaiah 50, verses 6 through 7. It says, I turned my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not hide my face from insults or spitting. 
for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been ashamed or humiliated. Therefore, I have made my face like flint. Flint was just a hard stone. In other words, what it means is, is he's saying, I've made my face determined. I've made my face full of conviction about what, I, what I'm convicted about in this moment. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is a wrongness of action. Shame is a wrongness of being. God has no problem with guilt and to feel guilty is fine because guilt is based off of conviction. In other words, if I desire God to be a part of my life, then I realize that God has a best in mind for how I should live my life in every avenue. I have a decision. Do I want that to line up like him or not? And if I want to line up like him in my attitude and what I'm saying, how I'm treating people, then when I don't, conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And I go, oh, man, I missed the mark. Dang it. God, forgive me. I, I really want to make sure. I, I told a lie. And I know that lying is not your best because it hurts those around us and hurts me too. So, God, I need to work on that because I told a lie. Shame is different. Shame, we move from the wrongness of action to beginning to define ourselves, which creates a wrongness of being. So I don't just say I lied. Now what I do that God does not care for and that destroys us is I define myself as a liar. I told a lie, therefore I am a liar. And God says, excuse me? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you create yourself? When I made you, I knew exactly what I was doing. And I didn't make you into a liar. That's why Adam and Eve, it doesn't say that they felt guilty when they ate. It was more dangerous than that. It says they felt ashamed, meaning that their very identity was now in question. Do you know the enemy? I think our identity is the greatest playground for the enemy. Because you know why? Identity keeps us bouncing around from emotion to emotion and what I think and what I feel. And God says, no, no, no. Let me define who you are. I love Isaiah here because he says, look, you can call me more names. You can pluck out my beard. You know what? You hit me once. Here's my backside. Hit me again. I don't care because no matter what you do, you do not dictate who I am. He dictates who I am. He is the one that called me. He is the one that made me. And I'm so deeply rooted in that that it's all about him and who he says that I am. Hannah understood this. Hannah knew no matter what label she had that she was going to put it in God's hand and let him dictate who she was. If you will, stand to your feet with me. The story goes on. Hannah does have a son. His name is Samuel. She takes Samuel to the priest, the house of the Lord, and leaves Samuel with Eli, the priest. At that particular time in this story for the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, God had ordained and made it so that Eli's family line, his lineage, would remain the priest at the house of the Lord. However, Eli had two sons that were just screw-ups. And they were doing some shady stuff in the house of the Lord, some very selfish things. Well, Eli kind of said something, but he never checked them or gave consequence for the things they were doing. 
So they were kind of left to keep doing. So God said, hey, Eli, because you as their father did not set consequences and did not really come to them and check them on this, I'm actually going to remove your lineage because you obviously don't respect this call that's on your life. Do you know who became a priest later on as he sat, watched, learned all the duties, but also drew close to God and saw that connection? Samuel, Hannah's son. Do you know as priest that Samuel, Hannah's son, anointed King David? Do you know who is in the lineage of King David? It's Jesus. I wonder what would have happened if Hannah was victim to that moment of shade where Penina was talking about her and she chose the shade off of pursuing God. I wonder what would have happened, but she didn't. What are we missing out on? What have we missed because we haven't chosen God's will over our desire to get back at someone? What are the moments we've missed? What are the things we haven't learned or seen from God because we've chosen what we wanted to do in our revenge and our retaliation instead of trusting that God's going to do what's best? If you will, close your eyes with me. Two questions I want to ask you. Hannah said that she went to God and prayed. She found that focal point. It's hard to find God as a focus in life and to realize that he sustains us more than a moment. It's hard to realize that if you don't really have a relationship, you've never invited him into your life. So my first question is, if you don't have a relationship with God, man, he's, he's crying out and he desires you just like you are because he wants to be a part of your life and help guide you. If you're here and you don't have that relationship, don't wait. Today's the day. And all I want you to do is if you want that relationship and you don't have it, I want you to just raise your hand up and then put it back down just right where you are. Just lift it up. Say, God, I want that relationship. Put it down. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand up here, sir. Thank you very much. All right, second question. Maybe you're sitting here today and in the story of Hannah, maybe we realize that, you know what? I've gotten lured into retaliating too much, whether it's through social media, whether it's just in person, whatever, family. And maybe you feel like God's speaking to you and saying, hey, there's a better way and there's a different way. You have another opportunity to change this. If you're here and you feel like God was just speaking to you and encouraging you, hey, it's time to not retaliate. It's time to get a focal point on on him and it's time to get some real meaning to life. If that's you and you feel like God said anything to you, all I want you to do to honor him is just raise your hand, say, God, I heard you, and then put it back down. God, I heard you. Just put it back down. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to repeat this after me as loud as you can. So just say this where you can hear it. God, I love you. Thank you for your son. He died for me, and he was raised from the dead for me. Because of that, I have new life. Because of that, I have your will. Help me not to get lost in the trap of retaliation, but to focus on you and to find depth of meaning in my life so I can live your best. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all give a hand clap for those people that raise their hand. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.